This is Hope FM. Well, welcome to another edition of Community Now. And what are we doing today? Well, as you will imagine, it's uh, it's going to be another full programme. But if you cast your mind back, uh, just before Christmas, I had the, the wonderful uh, Major Hard Weber on. And, uh, and we, that on that occasion, we were talking a lot about his wonderful new book of verse, Gift Beyond Measure. Uh, and, um, and we're going to be referring to that again, particularly in terms of, you know, how, how quick do you think Jesus is coming back? I mean, people have been hoping and and talking about the the soon return of Jesus coming back for a long, long time. But could it be that we are even nearer to that event? And that, in fact, that thinking has inspired another poem, which in fact is part of of Hard's first book, Get Beyond Measure. So we'll talk about that. But he has written two other books, actually, which he's just handed to me today, one called Meeting Jesus uh, and the other one called No Longer I. But apart from Hard's books, he's had a lifetime of service within the Salvation Army, and we're going to be talking about lots of those experiences, the, the ups and the downs. So wherever you are, stay with us, because it's going to be a great programme over these next two hours. Just starting off, I mean, Gift Beyond Measure, your latest book, um, fantastic little book to give as presents over Christmas. Did it sell reasonably well? It sold very well. Um, I don't know how many the publisher sold, but we've not had the figures from there but I've sold over 400 that's really so, really good yeah and I suppose I mean although we, it, it's a book that you you know it, it was inspiring poems for Christmas but but actually the sort of poems that you could read all the year through didn't they yes, several people have said that to me yeah, yes absolutely so, you know, very very good well let's start at the very beginning uh, uh, and you know Obviously, you, you've been a Salvation Army officer, major, major Salvation. I don't know how you how long it took you to get to the rank of Years, major. Years, <laughs> <laughs> But but for the completely uninitiated, tell us a wee bit about how the Salvation works, because not everybody who worships in the Salvation Army Corps uh, are necessarily officers, are they? No, no. Is um, adherent, adherence the right word? Yes, there's adherence in the soldiers. Uh, soldiers make a, a, a commitment, um, for instance, not to drink and not to gamble, etc., etc. Um, the adherents have a, a belief in Christ, but they don't make the same commitments. They don't wear uniform, uh, so that that's the, the difference. But the congregation is also made up of other people that are neither adherents or soldiers. So what was it that attracted you to the Salvation Army? Were, were your parents Salvationists? My my mother was. She was a believer. She came back to Christ. She, she grew up um, in the Salvation Army because my grandmother was converted back in the early 1900s and um, she brought, well she had to bring up her, her siblings because her mother died when she was 14 and she was one of 11, I think it was 11 children and so her younger eight siblings, she had to bring up and so brought she, them up in the South. A busy woman, yeah. <laughs> she was an amazing woman. You're thinking of a 14-year-old bringing up eight children, but there we are. And, and they talked to me about it, bless them, you know, because they were elderly, my great uncles and aunts, but uh, and how they, they would have been split up as a family had it not been for her. But she was a Salvationist, and my mum and her two sisters were brought up in the Salvation Army. But when um, the war came, my mother joined the ATS, and she told her mother, she's told me this before, um, that uh, na- she, she went away to, to join the ATS, and she told her mother, now I can do everything I've wanted to do you, you didn't like, which <laughs> cut through her mother like anything. But one day, strangely enough, 
she heard the band playing. She was living in Aldershot. The war obviously ended, and I was a little baby in arms or a little toddler. And um, she heard the Savage Army band going past their house in Aldershot. She was living with her in-laws, and so she took me out, uh, apparently, to listen to the band. She didn't know anyone there, and she wasn't praying, worshipping, or going anywhere. No, And uh, as the band went by, somebody who was a guest preacher looked across to her and broke away from the ranks of the, the leaders and the, the band and went over to my mother and said, I know you. And she said, oh, you won't know me. Yes, you're Evelyn Kirk, which was her maiden name. Mm. And it, she was flabbergasted. And he had known her in Canterbury when she was a young girl. Gosh. He, he, she didn't know who he was. And, um, and all he said to her is, are you still walking with Jesus? And when he got back to the hall, he said to the officer, go and visit 338 High Street, etc. And that was how my mother came back to Christ. Isn't that amazing? And it, 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 it's, uh, I'm sure now that you have a, I mean, you've got a lifetime of ministry looking back on, but it, it always amazes me how God connects people to people. Yes. You know, and, and the thing is, I mean, we talk about coincidences and so on, but there's very little coincidence. Uh, yes. God instances lots of you. Know, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's wonderful. How in this case, of course, that drew your mother. Yes. you know, uh, back to her faith. But but in terms of your making a commitment to Christ, what was that journey like for you? Well, as a little boy of seven, I think I shared this in you the did. last interview. Yeah. I committed my life to to Jesus. There was an appeal made, and um, in the Sunday school. And I committed my life to Jesus, and I, I, I had a very real experience even at that age. I do believe even children can sense and know, know the Lord. And I grew up with this desire to share it because I felt it made such a difference knowing you know him. Um, but I reached teenage years, and as I said before, the... The vision of your little world, you live in a very narrow world with your friends and oblivious to a lot going on around you. But as you get older, that um, vista spreads and, and, and gets bigger and you see things you never saw before. Maybe they were always there. And I, I was disillusioned by some things that happened in the church and some things I expected far better. Uh, I had this idealised view of how we should be <laughs> probably not looking so much at myself and um, I stepped back from the candidateship that I'd offered to become a full-time minister because mm. officership in the Salvation Army seemed the way to go to chair sure. what I had and um, and I like my mother if you like years before went away from the Lord mm. went away mm. left the left everything and but, but of course it's not a, it's it's not an uncommon story is it no. that that, that uh, you know that sadly maybe even somebody listened to us right now you know for whatever reason you know maybe are not in the place that 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 they that they once were you you said last time you were on the show and, and you've just said it again there hard about in the very early days of you contemplating about becoming a, a salvation army uh, you 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 were really put off and yes. w w so what was it what was it that you experienced that did that damage well um it, it was an immorality within the church between two members uh, and somebody i highly regarded and it was such a shock to the system um and I took my eyes off Christ, basically, instead of, you know, keep, keeping my eye on him. 
And then I noticed other things that happened or was happening. They're probably always happening in every church, and we need to keep our eye on Christ. That is the key. And I didn't. I'm ashamed to confess on the radio. And um, and I fell away for over 10 years. And but, but, I mean, you're being honest hard, aren't you? And I, and I guess in some ways that, that is the hardest thing, isn't it, to be honest with ourselves. Yes. I think God loves it when we're, we're, we're honest because the truth of the matter is we're all a bit messed up, aren't we? Yes. It's the human condition, you know. But but of course you know being being young and, and and idealistic in many ways it it does come as a shock. No doubt there would be people listening to us right now yeah. uh, that for whatever reason have been put off the church. No doubt you've said I'm never going to darken the doors of a church myself. Yeah. Now you, of course you had many experiences leading to uh, to a book being published called No Longer I. But of course there's a there's a story of insensitivity behind this, isn't there? Yes, yes. It's no longer I with a question mark because uh, as Paul said, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And I say of myself in that book, is that true? We like to think it's true. And um, what started me writing that book is to realise that it, it often isn't true. Uh, but we fail to recognise it. We spend a lot of time trying to defend ourselves and trying to assert ourselves as being okay. You know, we're doing our best and we're trying to be good and we do this and we do that. Um, now, I can understand that coming out of an unbeliever, but I, I think as a believer, we need to recognise ourselves as sinners. And probably if we could see ourselves from God's vantage point, far worse sinners than we think we are. And um, and if we had that view, it's not a, a reason for being downcast, but focus on God, our eyes fixed on Christ. Yeah. And he sees all that and worse and loves us. Yeah. I don't understand that, but it <laughs> relieves me. And it's a lot easier to be honest yeah. and li- live in that position of his love. Yeah. It's all about him, his grace, his love. And, and we haven't got to defend ourselves. We can be the lowest of the low. Uh, there's a poem that John Bunyan wrote, and I, I haven't got it here and I can't remember it, but other than the fact that, you know, basically what he's saying is if you're on the ground, if you allow yourself to get on the ground, you can't get taken any lower. Mm. No one can. But most of us spend all our time trying to elevate ourselves in the eyes of other people and maybe ourselves and trying to feel good about ourselves. I found the key to 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 peace and joy was actually feeling bad about myself but the focus being yeah. God sees all that and loves yeah. me yeah and, and of course it's a balance isn't it because because God doesn't want us to be like Uriah heaps you know yeah. but at the same time we are sinful people I don't know whether you you talking there t- reminded me of uh, you know of, of a story uh, uh, that I heard and it was a, a, a a Christian man, he was in bed at night, and the devil appeared at the at the bottom of his bed, you know, and said, you know, you, I don't know, you know, you know, how you can call yourself a Christian, and started to remind him about, you know, some of his sins and his thinking, you know, and uh, the guy said, oh, he said, that's wonderful. He said, would you mind just saying that again? And the devil said, what do you mean, wonderful? He said, so then the devil came out with a whole load of other accusations, which which were all perfectly true, you know, yeah. that, that the guy had been doing stuff and thinking things that, that you know, oh, that's that's amazing, says the man in the bed, you know, tell me, tell me it again. The devil says, what are you talking about? And uh, anyway, the devil had a third go, you know, and, and again the man said, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that's amazing, you know, tell me more. And, uh, and he said, 
what are you talking about? And the man says, well, isn't it amazing that all of those things that you're accusing me of are absolutely true, but isn't it wonderful that Jesus died for me and actually that in that state that he still loves me with a passion? And the devil disappeared. (laughs) But I always always remember that that story because it's true, isn't it? Absolutely. I think one of the reasons why the gospel is good news is because, you know, Amazing, Chris. Uh, yeah. You know that we we just all of us are non-deserving, but of course we're being changed. Yes, and and, and uh, I mean Paul, of course. I mean, I mean, of course he was a bit of a jack the lad, wasn't yeah. he? Persecuting the church, but of course he called himself the worst of sinners. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but I, I guess, I and mean, you would probably know this. How, how, when you were teaching people, and even when, when you're doing it now, how do you get the balance with encouraging people not to get down on themselves to the point of view where it's I can't or I'm not good enough yeah because yeah. there's a balance between that and recognizing that is it's not us but Christ in yes. us well I think that is the key to say oh yes you are good enough I do the reverse I no you're not good enough but it's what he can do through you and he can take the worst the lowest the weakest the, the foolish People like me. <laughs> All of us. I, 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 I went that club too hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and can do astounding things that actually take your breath away. And how do you do that using such a, th- a worm as I, mm. such a wretch as I? You can have this view of yourself, which doesn't get you down because your focus is on him. Yeah. He loves me. I don't understand it. In fact, it gives you a bigger picture, like you're saying in your illustration, of his love. I think the danger for us is trying to feel, and I think psychologists I know come from that direction of feeling good, make you feel good about yourself and see all the positives, etc., etc. And I think the trouble is that we then don't see the enormity of what God has done for such a bad person as me. And Paul, when he says... Um, about being the worst of sinners. You notice it's in the present tense, not the past tense. No. When, he, when he was complicit in murder, there's no question. He arrested them knowing they'd be put to death. And he played a part. He, play, he approved of Stephen. But everything we read about what he says in that testimony, which occurs a few times in the Acts of the Apostles, is that he was complicit in murder. He was a murderer. He was. Mm. The lowest of the low. And in fact, if you, if you, if you analyse the, the lives of the disciples that Jesus chose, they were all quite a rich bunch of sinners, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, but tell us, there's a story that inspired you writing this book, No Longer I. Um, tell us what happened. Well, I was concerned because there are a lot of people um, that, I, that have been hurt by things, unjust things, unpleasant things, and spend a lot of time dwelling on that. And sometimes it can inhibit, it's like having a pebble in your shoe that inhibits your walk with the Lord and, and, and can cause you to turn away. And um, I had an experience in our first ministry. <laughs> to give you a picture, um, we had a little boy aged 10 and he um, contracted leukemia. My wife had just had a baby a matter of months before, about eight months before, and was expecting another child. Well, we thought it was another child. Um, she went for some diagnostic tests, and they found that she had a, a raised what they call alpha fetoprotein in her blood. Now, that's indicative of um, spina bifida, to have that r- range. 
And um, anyway, she was informed about that. So we were losing sleep. And then he was diagnosed the following week. He'd been ill for a while, back and forth to the hospital. And she was going to the antenatal clinic the following day. But that that day, um, Wrexham um, consultant wanted one of us to travel in the ambulance to Liverpool specialist Old Hay Hospital. So um, what happened? I got friend... To, to look after my wife and my eight-year-old while I went off with the, um, with the 10-year-old. And um, we had all that going on, and it turned out that she wasn't expecting spina bifida. The reason that she had a raised alpha feta protein was that she had two embryos. She was expecting twins. twins. <laughs> <laughs> it's God's sense of humour. He could have we planned four, and he could have given us twins earlier on, but uh, <laughs> never fully understood that. I mean, uh, and it was only months after that that um, we were moved away. And I went to visit this lady. She was an elderly lady. She couldn't get to the church. She lived in a village some distance away. And I had made it my business to call on her quite regularly. She, she was a retired school teacher, a single woman. She was well into her 80s. And she changed her attitude to us. My wife used to come with us. but And it wasn't as many visits, still more visits than anyone else when I'm passing by a popping. But um, she turned cold. I mean, when I first went, she used to get out the the china and the silver service and tea. Her her eyes weren't very good, but she insisted in going to the kitchen and bringing the tray, but now nothing. And it was quite a cold visit. And on this, which was last visit before I moved away, she said, she sat there silently and I chatted to her. And I asked her, I'd asked her previously, have I said something? Have I done something? I'm sure your listeners have been in that situation where someone's behaving differently. And you don't know why. And you don't know what you've done yeah. or if it's you that's done it. And she just didn't say anything. I prayed with her and shared, and it was the last time I was ever going to see her. But as I got hold of the door handle to shut the door because I was going to see myself out, as I said, her sight wasn't brilliant, she called me back. There's something I need to tell you, Lieutenant. I was a lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and I thought, given the situation, that I was going to get some explanation or, I don't know, apology. I, I don't know. I, I'm a bit um, of an idiot sometimes, you know, and, I, I, and I'm an optimist. Anyway, I stepped back into the room and she said, I need to tell you, she shared that her parents had started the church there eight, you know, well, it was a century ago. They were pioneers that have come to the village and started the Salvation Army. And uh, after this little prologue, she said to me, and so between us, we've known all the officers that have ever been here, and I need to tell you, you are the worst officer this church has ever had. And it was like throwing a brick at me. I didn't know what to say. I still had the door handle in my hand, and I I just said, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just said, thank you. And I, I went out to my car, sat down, and I just broke down and wept like a baby. And did she say why? Did she, did she qualify that? No. Very, did, very harsh. I didn't ask her. I mean, I came to the conclusion that uh, she didn't feel she was getting what, what she did from us. Um, but, you know, we were in dire straits with our situation. Um, my son did, by the way, just in anyone's wondering, my son did, did eventually, after three years of treatment, come through and he's... He's now, what is he, 40, 48. So, but, um, 
No, and um, what I I was then doing was analysing the last three years. I'd see, we'd seen God doing incredible things. Because I remember you saying that you'd seen growth in that church, yes. actually, in your first... and we'd seen all sorts of things. It, it got a at work in the church and and I couldn't and 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 the book I what I I did I I shared that at, at the very beginning the first chapter and then I I shared in the following chapter looking back searching for some explanation in what I'd done for her to come to that conclusion and Basically, what needed to happen was because uh, we we'd arrived at the next church and that was still hanging over me, and I was thinking after all that we'd done, we didn't think we'd just serve the church. We thought we'd given ourselves away, you know, sacrifice, and you know, it was no big thing after what Jesus had done for us. But we didn't think we'd just done the job, hmm. and that was what was heartbreaking. But what the Lord needed to show to me is what if you are. The worst, because you didn't say you were one of the worst, a a worst. <laughs> You're in the bottom division. I'm actually in the bottom, at the bottom of the bottom the division. Worst. Yeah. The worst. What if you are? And what are you all anxious about? Is it about me, I felt God saying, or about you? You know, and what I, the conclusion I came to in, in my prayer life and tears was that I hadn't died. I hadn't died to self. I thought I had, and I thought I was serving, I thought I loved him, and I, yes, I did, but there's degrees, but I hadn't died. It's not easy to die to self, and it's a thing one needs to do regularly, because even Paul, having said, mm. it's no longer I that lives, says that elsewhere, I die daily. In other words, it's a daily thing, because the old ego, I, I believe Satan's in the resurrection business I came to that conclusion. What do you mean by that, Howard? It's God that resurrects us. No, I think, you know, when when we die and we bury self, Satan's there with a shovel trying to get us out again and uh, um, get us concerned about us and the injustices and the unfairnesses we experience. I mean, it's important, that, isn't it? Because it's certainly one of the, the, the lessons that, that I've had to learn and, and continue to learn, really, because... You, you get these very harsh comments, but I felt the Lord saying to me uh, that, you know, well, in fact, you know, that's uh, scripture. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I, yes. and I took that against. Well, actually, our, our real problem isn't with human beings, no. but our problem is what controls those human beings. Yes. So if 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 a life is not under the control of God, then it sadly means that, that the evil one is, is working through it. But even those whose lives are under the control of God, the evil one still uh, you yes. know, shouts through people. Yes. The sad thing is, of course, now you wrote this book, and I think you said to me at the beginning that, that at the time it, it, people were saying to you, every Salvation Army leader ought to have a copy of this because actually every single leader, not just a leader, but you may be listening to the program today. Let me ask you this. When did the arrow hit your heart? Uh, and not only that, but how did you react to it? And that's why you wrote the book, because it's, it, it was going to be a common experience. Yes. Well, I, I realised it was a common experience by the people I met and some of the things that happened in the churches where they've been very hurt and they feel like leaving and they don't want to... Mm-hmm. And, and it's that realisation, too, that when someone does that... I mean, what was done to me by this lady who was a salvationist... A, Christian um, 
it wasn't done in love because sometimes we have to take <laughs> quite yeah. severe criticism, but there's a way of being criticised with love behind I it. I think it's called constructive criticism. Yeah, and it? sometimes we have to say things that are hard. Um, I've got a lovely friend. He, he, he was converted, school teacher. Him and his wife were both school teachers, and they were converted at our second church. And they went on to be ministers, and they called upon me to come and do a retreat for them. And they were up north, and I did that. But when I saw him, he was a big guy anyway, about my height, six foot four, six foot five. But he was big built, and he'd always be big built. Um, but he had put on weight. I I was shocked. Lovely, such a godly man, wonderful preacher too, and. Um, and I felt God saying, I've got to say something. Well, I didn't want to say anything. Mm. You know, he's my friend. Yeah. You, telling somebody the right thing to a friend, you could lose their friendship. And that's a risk you've got to take sometimes. Yeah, isn't it? mm. and it's me concerned about me losing a friend. <laughs> We're back to the, but the you, subject. But you know that also, the scripture, you know, it says that... Uh, uh, that uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, and uh, but but it's the wounds of a friend actually yes. uh, that are a blessing, really. But it, but you know, some people will tell you what they know you want to hear, tickle your ears. Yeah. But a true friend will will tell you the truth. But it's difficult to tell the truth. It is. I mean, in the afternoon, you know, as their guest, everyone had the afternoon. We, we arrived on the Friday, and it finished on the Sunday night. But Saturday afternoon was free, and they took. It was in in the late dis, near the late district, and they. The, the hotel where they had the retreat and they took me out for the afternoon and bought me coffee and we caught up on because we hadn't seen each other for a long time and we, obviously we got a history mm. and a lot of catching up to do and all the time this was going on in my mind I think it was the Holy Spirit prodding me to say something and I couldn't find a proper way and I didn't know how to say it and um, we got back to the hotel had to go and get washed and changed ready for tea before we have another session and um, it really played on my mind that I hadn't done anything. And I thought, I've got to do so. So I went down and knocked on their room door. And they opened the door, surprised to see me. I said, there's something I need to tell you. Well, we've been talking for about three hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I went in and I still hadn't got the words. And I just looked at him. He was sat on the edge of the bed and his wife was sitting with him. And I said, I just need to tell you, Rudy, my friend, you're not going to make retirement. No, I didn't elaborate, which I was going to do. And they both burst into tears. Mm. And he said, Leslie's been on at me for ages, he said. And I, I have to admit, I've ignored what she said, mm. but coming from you. Mm. And that had an impact. Even that night, he refused potato. The, he had a big bl blob of potato and something else on his plate. He decided there and then... But to to tell him that, that's hard, yeah. But but the, but the interesting thing is, isn't it that that it was obviously God prompting you to do that because you couldn't rest with it. Yeah. But uh, of course, the thing is, did he live to retirement? Yes, he's Hooray! retired now. <laughs> oh, he's doing very well. So yes, you see, he's a, so, so, so one of the blessings are the are the, are the are the wounds of a friend. Yes, uh, profuser are the kisses of an enemy. You know, this is Hope FM.
We left off there talking about uh, No Longer I, and you were telling that awful story where the lady said to you, you're the worst minister that we've ever had. Now, of course, since the book then went out there, of course, you got feedback, didn't you? Yes. Uh, and and, and what did, did that confirm to you that that this sort of strategy that, of the evil one, you know, your experience of being told you're rubbish, effectively, yes. you know, wasn't it wasn't just your experience, was it? No, I didn't think it was, because when Satan finds a good ploy he, he does use it fairly universally i think and uh, i got feedback from people that had been hurt by others unjustly by people that purportedly christian who shouldn't have treated anyone like that and their own reaction and feelings um and also they felt they were inspired to look at things from a to- totally different perspective because sometimes it's how they felt that took control which is natural. That's what happened in my youth, why I left the Lord, the church, etc., because I allowed my feelings to take precedence and my my concept of injustice or wrongness and um, instead of keeping totally focused on Christ and what he went through and see the parallels. But you got over that, and yes. uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But but just to say, also, we, we t- your friend who was overweight, and you know where you had to bring that word that you didn't really want to bring. But of course, we should say he's now in retirement, isn't he? Yes, uh, yes. But then it does it does sort of point to the fact that we there is a point where we do have to take responsibility, don't we? Yes. Because had your friend not listen to your okay, he hadn't listened to his wife but he did listen to you yes. uh, but it's important to take responsibility isn't it yes and obviously I had a responsibility which he wouldn't have had had I not shared it it lifted my responsibility I'd said what I had to say even if it was a bit clumsy um, but I think God can even use our clumsiness thank goodness <laughs> especially when he's dealing with someone like me <laughs> but uh the other thing, of course, that brings us to is forgiveness. You know, I, I used to always think that the Lord's Prayer was a bit unfair. You know, you know where it says, uh, forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I think, well, if you think that, I mean, that lady, for example, you know, I mean, what a terrible thing to say. It must have been a challenge for you to forgive her, you know. Well, it was, um But the illumination I had in my own heart from the Holy Spirit in terms of where I was and how I needed to change, not anything to do with anything I'd done to her or in the church, but the internally the view of myself and the fact that, for want of a better way of putting it, I hadn't died or even begun to die despite thinking I had (laughs) because I'd given up our home, given up a career, given up a salary to become a minister – um, but the truth was, uh, which is not totally palatable, is that I hadn't given up me. Mm. And um, having come through all, all the, that thinking and analysis and come into that conclusion, I came to the other conclusion that I would have never arrived there without what she'd said to me. 
So I even not only forgave her, but I actually thank God for what she said. She didn't use it for the purpose <laughs> that God used it, but that's nevertheless, yeah. if yeah. God can turn the bad into good, yeah. as you know. And I suppose the reason why it's so strong about forgiveness is because the Lord knows that if we hold anything over anybody, that it, it's like a cancer. It, it just destroys us. Whereas, in fact, the opposite, of course, was true in your experience. And I've had the experience myself. And I guess many people listening to us will have that experience where God, the Holy Spirit, teaches you and moves you forward and uses uh, stuff to actually, uh, I think sometimes God's in the business of pulling us apart yeah. to rebuild us, you know. Absolutely. And it was hardly the nails or a spear, was it? And yet his reaction to that, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You know, and we need to get what we experience in, into that perspective of what Jesus went through for us. Well, that gives, it, that gives us, of course, the great, the great hope, uh, uh, doesn't it? This is Hope FM. Going back to the whole subject of, uh, of forgiveness, and uh, do you touch on that in in in, in your books and the, ne- the necessity really for moving beyond, you know, whatever the hurt is, even though it may be very difficult to do. Yes, yeah, uh, I, that the the book obviously that that particular book share, shares that, and um, there is a need to, and you can't get there very easily. I remember reading a story of Corrie Ten Boom, and um, and she had preached on forgiveness and she suddenly met one of the guards yes yes who offered her a hand of friendship because he had become a christian and she couldn't shake his hand initially and, and obviously god had to do a, a work in her for her to be able to break through that mm-hmm. barrier because sometimes we can think we've forgiven somebody but when it comes to the practicalities that's where we discover that actually mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not quite where you <laughs> should be. Thought yeah. <laughs> or you thought you were, yeah. Of course, the other thing, too, about our Christian performance is, I mean, obviously getting uh, getting down on ourselves. I mean, I think having a right view of ourselves that, you know, it's not us but Christ in us. And that yeah. is a difficult place to get to anyway yes. because dying to ourselves is a continual thing, isn't it? It's, yes. it's not a one-off, really. But I think on against that, that, you know, when the Bible talks about flying on wings, soaring on wings like eagles? Yes. And, and being able to do far more than all we can ever think or imagine or hope for of course this is a great truth isn't it so so every every single individual believer can become superman superwoman uh, but but in the sense that god can do anything yes through them and sometimes will blow their minds and 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 it's like it's getting that balance isn't it knowing always that this isn't this is i'm amazed what god does yes but it's, it's him, you know, and we're blessed to be used. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. You, you look at something you've done or someone comes back with a result in their life through something you've said or done or written and you're blown away and you think, well, you, you can't do other than confess it. It wasn't me. I know me <laughs> and God knows me and I'm not taking the glory, <laughs> you know, that, that that is his because... And, and and one's just overwhelmed with the the privilege that he he uses such as us. Let's come on to your 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 third uh, book. I'm holding in my hand called that Meeting Jesus. What was it that inspired you? Well, because uh, you, you self published this, didn't you? No, no, that that's the one the Salvation Army, Army published. That was so the, the, you self published the, the the one about I. Yeah, no yeah. longer I. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that was my first book. and um, Oh, yes, this is the one that had won the awards, wasn't it? Yes, it won the uh, Christianity magazine, the premier Christianity magazine um, Book of the Year award. 
um, which was a surprise on my first book. And I never saw myself as a writer. People see your per- perception of yourself is very different to how others see you, uh, generally anyway. <laughs> um, but um, I, I was concerned about evangelism. Uh, I'd been on evangelism courses and, and you know, sometimes they, they'd give you a little list of 10 points to, to lead someone to Christ. And, and I, that never sat comfortably with me. It's almost like a performance or a script. And I think I, I was uncomfortable with it. And I didn't feel, as I read the Gospels, I think it didn't seem to be like that. The Lord adapted what he said, what he did to the individual he was dealing with. He was obviously observing and listening. And each individual, even the healing miracles, they do vary an awful lot. It's not the, He doesn't use the same um, script. For, our formula, it. yeah. And, and um, as I thought about that um, and prayed about it, I had one or two experiences. The first experience I shared at last time we were interviewed about a man whose little boy had died and how God, the Lord taught me to listen for what he is doing. I think even in the best missionaries are people that went into, a say, a pagan situation and didn't judge them, here's Christianity, throw away all, you know, you've got it all wrong. This is, this is the right way. They didn't do that because God's already there working. They may have got misconceptions. They may have not got the full picture. And a good missionary and a good um, evangelist, if you like, or someone who's longing for some, will listen and will pick up what God has already done that they've already picked up and un- and they'll unpick, if you like, the, the wheat from the chaff and they'll highlight the wheat. Uh, um, Paul did it, didn't he, in, in Athens when he saw that altar to an unknown God. There were all these silver and gold and st- stone idols around, but here were a group of people that knew that wasn't sufficient. There was something more they didn't know what it was. Mm. And so instead of rubbishing, you know, how can you pray to something you don't even know? It, it didn't go down that way. What he did was to say, yes, and I can tell you about him. I can make him known to you. I can help you with this. In other words, share with them. They've, got, they've done something positive in what they've recognized and then add to it. And so I, I had to learn to, to listen and wait on the Lord. Um, I'm still not very good at it, but... Um, one of the stories I tell in there, I used to go to a hostel. It was in Sittingbourne. It wasn't a Salvation Army hostel, and it was an old, what they call a drill hall, not f- hall. I'm not fully composite as to what a drill hall is, but I think some sort of military Yes, where they would do the left incline and quick, you know, a bit like the Boys Brigade, if you remember. Oh, right, yeah. You know, you do all these these drills was the, were the sort of uh, the moves that oh, you took, right. military-type moves, you know, left incline, right incline, about turn, oh, attention, right. you know, yeah. all of those sorts of things. Well, there was this, and it had been taken over by um, English Churches Housing Association. Mm-hmm. Suddenly come to my mind. Mm. And... Um, They'd taken it over to you. It was a derelict building, and they'd done it up a little bit. And it was a very basic hostel just to get people out of the cold. And when I discovered it, I used to take food. We had a lady in our church had a bakery, and she'd ring me on a Saturday. We've got surplus. We're only going to dump it. It's no good for Monday. And so I would go around in my car and collect it and take that in, and they loved it. And also, in, when people gave me clothes, good good men's clothes, yep. it was a men's hostel. It was about 43 people in there. And um, 
there were 43 beds all on one floor in, in one great big area with, a, I think there's only two WCs and a couple of sinks. It was very poor. And not only that, it smelt. Mm. I mean, initially, I never went further than the reception. I used to just leave the stuff and there was some nice staff there. And the other thing is that when I used to try to um, communicate with the, the residents if they were hanging about outside, you know, just being friendly, they didn't respond at all. They just gave me... Um, <laughs> unpleasant looks. Rarely did <laughs> yes. they respond. I mean, occasionally they'd be at hello, but they didn't want to engage. Anyway, um, I'd, I'd done this for a little while when I had this feeling <laughs> mm. that I ought to go in on a regular basis and be available to them. But I had the argument inside me that what's the point? They don't want to talk to me anyway. So I had this battle inside me. And I, it wouldn't go away. Sometimes people have said to me, how do you know it's God speaking? I said, well, I've found in my experience um, that if you have this come into your mind and you don't agree with it you, or you don't want to do it and it won't go away mm. and, and, it, and it nags you, nags you in the night or nags you, that it's lightly, highly lightly, to be the Lord, you'll only know by stepping out, mm. and uh, after months, and, and even driving to avoid going past the place, I went and contacted the manager and asked if he would consider letting me to come in on a Monday night just for an hour. And uh, he said, "Oh, we have a residence group, and they they would have, it's their home. They would have to agree to it." I thought good because i i don't want to go in there anyway and they don't want me but he came back to me and although it was almost 50 50 he agreed that i went in well i didn't know what i was going to do and i went in and one of the reception said would you like a, a, a guided tour i said no because i thought it looks a bit official mm. i just wander about well mm -hmm. i didn't know the layout of the building at that stage and there's a darts room there's a snooker room a television room the canteen and um, I wandered around. Uh, I went into the darts room and they were playing darts. I said, oh, the vicar's here. Watch our language. And I thought, <laughs> I, I don't want you to be any different to what you know. I were don't... you wearing your Sally Army uniform? Yes. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if the, the residents have had their meeting, I want them to identify yeah. I'm the guy who just agreed <laughs> yeah. or didn't agree to. But, um, yeah, the hour went by. I tried to engage. I went into the snooker room and there was a couple of shots. I said, oh, that, that would be good. Steve Davis could do that. It shows yeah. how old I was. <laughs> and they just looked at me as if to say, we don't want your opinion. So I wandered out again. And when I got the hour up, I, I, I know this sounds awful for a Christian, but I, I was saying to God, okay, if it was you, I've done it. End of story. But And I stepped out, so relieved to get out, because it was embarrassing. Mm. But as I stepped out, I had a um, a conviction, if you like, I've got to go back the following week. Mm. I couldn't make that, any sense of that because there was no point going in the first place. So I, I went in the second week and it was the same thing all over and over again. In the end, I just wandered in the television room. Um, they had these dark curtains because it was summer. They had the dark curtains they'd pulled over to keep out the light. And there was just the, the light of the television. There was about 12, 13 guys in there watching this. And I sat down and I remember it was Octopussy, you know, a real spiritual program. <laughs> um, James Bond. James Bond. But, uh, yeah. And I sat there thinking I could be with my family. If there's another evening I'm not with my family if I wanted to watch James Bond. 
and I was just saying to the Lord, I don't know why I'm here. And um, anyway, the program ended. They switched the television off and opened the curtains. And all I said to them was, oh, brilliant. I said, in my day, when I was young, I wasn't that much older than them. I said, when I was young, I said, it was all cowboys on television. I said, um, Wagon Train, Rawhide, Wells Fargo. And they started ch chipping in oh. their experience of cowboy films. And I, I was thinking... <laughs> and uh, and that turned on to other things and I looked at my watch I was meant to be at a church meeting 10 minutes ago I'm I'm the chairman and I'm here <laughs> they're wonderful <laughs> I said sorry guys I've got to go and I went out the door and I heard them saying see you next week captain mm. and I thought Lord, I don't know what's going on, but something's going. Mm. You know, sometimes God gives you something as vague as that. You know he's at work, but he's not inclined to tell you precisely. And the following week was a turning point. A guy was waiting for me and wanted to talk personally about things, things that he'd done, um, some terrible things. Mm. And he opened up. The other guys came to see why he's talking to you know, I'm, I'm selfish on the officer, but they're like the vicar. Mm -hmm. And um, so the conversation changed. And they started to have a little go at me. They said, you think you're so much better than us. And, and, yeah, you'd, you'd never invite us to your church. You wouldn't want people like us. I said, I'd love it. I'd love you. If I could get you, if I had enough money, I'd give you all a fiver to come along, all 43 of you. Because I said, the church has got to change. And if you all turned up and behaved yourself, we'd have to adapt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, so we had this little laugh. And, see, and someone said, oh, you Christians, you think you're so much better than the rest of us because you go to church. And I said, no. I said, we, speaking on behalf of us all, I said, no, we're worse than all of you. Mm. How would you make that out? I thought, oh, <laughs> you're the one that suggested we were. Yeah. Anyway, I, I said, well, um, we need forgiveness and we recognize we need forgiveness no i said there's no point you going to church you don't need forgiveness you told me how good you are which completely baffled <laughs> the direction <laughs> i was coming from and uh, we had some more where they were having to go at me and i was accepting it and anyway sunday night i went to the platform to what we call a salvation meeting and there were two of the guys sitting there and i thought lord what are they doing here i never invited them not because i didn't want them mm. i didn't want them to think, I've gone into that hostel to get them to church. Sure. I want them to know Jesus, mm. see where he leads them. Mm. And um, turned out that one of them, I left on the Monday night, and one of them on the Tuesday morning got out of bed, he'd overlaid, and it wouldn't have happened if he... Lord moves incredible ways, surprise me. Mm. It wouldn't have happened if he hadn't overlaid, because the other guys weren't there. Mm. And he knelt at his bedside. No, I, I hadn't told them how to come to Christ. Mm. And he had no religious background. This is totally Holy Spirit work. And he, he broke down and wept. He was an alcoholic. He'd lost his wife and two children through the alcoholism. They'd left him. And um, God responded. So he came with his mate to worship and uh, joined the church. And they were they were so rough, but the church accepted them and... Uh, you know, and they were the first of five of the guys that got saved there. So isn't that such an encouraging, amazing story? And, and demonstrating, of course, that God can do more than we can ever think 
or imagine or hope for. Because when your story reminded me of Gladys Aylward, you know, when she went out to, to the mission field, that they they did awful things to her. You know, I mean, they left fetus pieces in her little place where she was staying, and 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 but she kept going back and she persevered, and of course it won the trust of 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 the people. You know, yes, but it took a long time. You know, and I had to ask forgiveness of God because I didn't want to go in there. Yeah, but how, I nearly didn't go in there. In terms of meeting Jesus and the various ways that Jesus worked, I mean, th- th- there is there is no formula, is there? That as you quite rightly said, Jesus sort of met people at all sorts of levels. But if you were uh, answering people's questions to how do I, how do I come to know Him myself? What, what sort of things would you share with them, Hart? Well, I. I w- Right at the front, I put, you seek him with all your heart. I would then obviously give them a little bit more explanation because he promises that he will respond um, and he's either truthful or a liar. You know, seek me with with all your heart and I will be found by you. And um, that's the key. Because sometimes people think, it's about what you know and being indoctrinated and someone pounding you to in the end you say, I believe in Jesus. It's about a personal relationship and actually knowing God. Um, one can be a church um, goer or belong to a church and agree to all its doctrines of faith, all its beliefs. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can do everything expected, tithe and all that, and still not have a personal, intimate relationship with God himself. Yeah. And I, I know that from personal experience when I left him. In a sense, he, he didn't leave me, but he was detached from me because <clears throat> he lets us be in, 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 in a form of control. And he... It's a bit like waiting in the wings of theatre. He wants to come on stage, but, you know, if you want him in the wings, mm. he'll stay in the wings. And then you'll testify to the fact that you don't know God, you don't see God. Where's the evidence? Where's the proof when you've not given him a chance? Sometimes people have said to me, you know, if you could prove there was a God, I'd believe. And I said, well, he can prove himself. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, seek him with all your heart. And it means all your heart. Don't monkey him around. You're dealing with God. He's very humble. He will come down and, and respond to your prayer, but he wants to know you mean business. And it means turning over and doing things on his terms and not your terms. He's, he's not another thing in your collection of whatever you've got. He is centre stage. He's in, in the middle. I said, the church got very upset at one stage when they it was suggested the sun didn't revolve around the earth and I think it's a reflection on our thinking that God revolves around us he's really humble and loving and gracious and we're the centre of his love but he is God we revolve around him that's the relationship and it does mean humbling it does mean confessing what we don't want to confess and on a personal level I discovered when I admitted my sin and confessed my sin, that wasn't enough because God knew things that I wasn't willing to confess and that I was blind to. And so when I thought I'd lowered and humbled myself, actually before 
I came into that experience of his love and his forgiveness. He took me even lower till he broke me and I wept and I saw myself as totally unlovable. And it was at that point, weeping before the Lord, why would he want to live, love a creature like me, that he came? But sometimes we're not willing to go down, take it on his terms from his point of view. And so we miss because we always want to get up yeah. there. He'll lift you up. Go down. <laughs> and of course, some people think that the Holy Spirit that we talk about, which is really God's presence in the world, and, yes. and he says he'll come and he'll live within us, you know, and presence himself, giving us the power to live the life that he wants us to yes. live. But, uh, but of course, uh, I think a lot of people find it difficult to believe that even before long before sometimes anybody ever comes to know God, that actually that God is at work in their lives. Yes. In fact, the very feel, that, that feeling of uncomfort, uncomfortableness, of conviction we, is the term that we use in Christian things, isn't yeah. it? That, uh, it's, actually, it's actually God at work within us, even yes. though, of course, demonstrating that he knows all of our names and, and he knows all of our thoughts even before we even think them, yes. which is quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I remember a guy, his name was Wayne. Um, I was preaching in Lincoln Prison one Sunday morning, and it was before I had keys to, to get around very much. And I'm waiting on the landing after preaching, waiting for someone to let me out. And um, these guys were passing me by with their little enamel mugs. And, and this shortish, stocky lad, Wayne, said to me, what you, what you were saying in there? I said, what was I saying? <laughs> also, he said, uh, uh, about being lost. I said, right. And he said, uh, do you mean going to hell? Well, that, um, <laughs> he took me back a bit, and I'm thinking, um, well, ultimately, if, if one never responds, yes. He said, well, do you believe in hell? And again, I'm thinking, I really don't want to be focused on that subject. But at the end of the day, yes, I do. He said, well, I don't believe in hell. I said, well, you can believe the moon's made out of blue cheese. You know, the facts may be different to your perception. And he said, but I'd interrupted him. I didn't realize I'd interrupted him because what he then said, I've always felt that's where I'm going. And I thought, who told him that? And what I discovered, because I, I went in to visit him. He said I could visit him when I, I used to go Friday afternoons and once a month preaching on a Sunday. And um, the other thing I'd done, I, I told him, I gave him a, a gospel. I was carrying a gospel. And um, he went back because I, I, I told him, you know, maybe you'd like to read this. Not that he's a reader. But when I went into his cell, I could tell something had happened. And he said, look at this. And he had a Bible. I said, where'd you get by? The vicar gave it to me. That's the main chaplain, Church of England chaplain. He'd asked for a Bible because he'd read the gospel. And he started quoting, you know, reading out bits to me. Look at this, as if I hadn't heard before. And I acted as, <laughs> a, as a wow, <laughs> as if I hadn't heard. And um, what it was, I, I feel, is the Holy Spirit put that in his heart. And he, what had happened, fortunately, he wasn't sharing a cell. And when he was on his own, he knelt at his bedside and asked God to come into his life. And, um, and the Lord did. The sad thing in the story, and I, I continued to visit him, he went through a terrible tragedy in his life where his girlfriend outside had drowned their baby, their new baby. 
and um, and then had kill, killed herself. Only a young girl, nineteen, mm. um, devastated. I went down. They they let him go with two police um, prison officers down for the funeral, and there were crowds. You know, Nottingham underworld, I think it was, and uh, it was quite an experience for me. And uh, and he saw I was there. He, he went down, cuffed, and but um, he came through all of that. I got a I got a call initially to say what had happened from the chaplain, saying, "Can you come in tomorrow?" I've been there on Friday, all afternoon. But he got the news on the Friday night. Can you come in Saturday morning? Because you have a lot of dealings with him. I sat with him and said, oh, I didn't know what to say to him. I told him about this God of love. He'd made a decision. And then within weeks, this absolutely awful thing happening. We sat in silence for, oh, it must have been an hour. And then he just turned to me. He says, you know, I still feel God loves me. Hmm. I thought, well, that hasn't come from me. Hmm. But it, it had tragedy because I discovered that he was the main gang leader, drug dealer of Nottingham. The story, it was a big catch for the police. They've been trying to get him for ages. But, you know, if you're on the top of the pile, you don't handle anything. Mm. So to be caught with your hands and something happened where, very unfortunately, he did get caught. And he was in for a few years. But when he left... You know, I wanted to guide him to a church in Nottingham and I couldn't think where to guide him, where he would relate to the world that you'd put him in. And um, I met him in Nottingham. I bumped into him one day and the minute he saw me, the first thing he said, he said, um, he always called me Mr. Weber. He said, Mr. Weber, it's so hard. You've no idea. You've got no idea how hard it is. And he'd gone back into his old life mixed up. And I still pray for him. I mean, in the book, that the last story I put in there, because uh, years went by, 10 years, I can't remember. That. Anyway, a long time, I'd had no contact with him at all. And I'd moved on you know, to other places. And I suddenly had this th- feeling that I've got to contact him. Hmm. I didn't know how to contact him. And uh, <clears throat> I discovered when I Googled that there was a, a, a guy named um, Donald McIntyre who makes um, documentaries of um, <laughs> bad people. He'd done one on IRA, on Chelsea supporters and other things. But he'd done one on Wayne Hardy. Yeah. And I found it and I saw it. And what um, Donald had done, he'd joined the health club that um, Wayne belonged to and eventually befriended, they became friends. He had no suspicion and then he exposed him on the car park and Wayne went bananas. In fact, he put 20000 on his head. Yeah. Um, and I thought, this is a different Wayne to the one. But you sat and having those chats. But I still wanted to contact him. So I sent to Donald McIntyre's website. <clears throat> I sent several emails, got no reply. I had to go up to Nottingham to do a retreat. Um, and while I was up there... I looked in the telephone directory <laughs> for Hardy. Well, it's hardly to put it in the yellow pages as, you know, Wayne Hardy, <laughs> criminal. But um, I found two, and one was W. Hardy and the other, other one. And so I wrote letters when I got, I wrote the address down, found the postcode, sent off the letters, 
and I suddenly got a phone call from a former police officer who is, was now working for Donald McIntyre's television production. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, one of my letters went to Wayne's former wife, Wendy, and she had given it to him. Oh. And he had brought it up when they were preparing for filming because having put a, a large amount of money on Donald McIntyre's head... Donald had to send, he sent this former police officer working for him to see if he could uh, do a, a 10 years later, uh, yes. another film about him. And anyway, the result, I'm going to get all the details, the details are in the book. I landed up on the film set in Nottingham on a railway station, having conversation with him and going with him. His, his daughter's a drug addict, Wayne's daughter. And we went to the grave yard where his brother, his brother got killed on um, a bridge in Nottingham, hit by a lorry. And, um, you know, I shared the day in the filming and was part of that, that film. And But in private, you know, I shared with him my longing that he would commit, recommit his life to Christ. But it's so hard for these people. Mm. Our, our churches are, are lovely places with lots of lovely people, but... You know, it's so different, the world's. It's still a burden to me now. Mm. He came to England because um, what happened, he got into some other trouble and he escaped to South Africa. And I came across this picture. There were 10 or the 20 most wanted men. And Inland Revenue, I think it was Inland Revenue, anyway, someone wanted him because he had imported cigarettes mm. without paying yeah. and he'd made enormous amount. I mean, he's a millionaire with mm. his crime. But they didn't know that he was in South Africa. And I knew he was in South Africa. I didn't know it was, I have a responsibility to shop him or whatever. But um, anyway, the result was that uh, I, we made contact with each other and we did some um, Skypes. And he's married again to a Mozambique lady with a couple of children. He came over to this country to see his because what happened he <clears throat> the police managed to get an extradition on him mm. they put him in a South African jail which he said was absolute horrible and then he came back mm. and served three years now I didn't know any of that because I'd lost contact I found all this out afterwards but eventually I made contact while he was in England and we had some conversation but I'm still burdened for him but that's what God does, isn't it? He puts He puts these burdens on our hearts, and uh, and of course this, that story is not yet ended. No. So maybe on a future program, hard, you know, never never mind. We, we might have Wayne here at some yes. point, you know. Yeah. One of the things I, I wanted just to con- conclude our interview with today was really about the second coming yes. of the Lord. I know that you've been particularly burdened about this. In fact, you included a poem at uh, the last minute in in your, your Christmas little book. I don't know whether you want to read it or not. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, let's, let's have a read of it. When Jesus comes again, the day is drawing ever near when Christ will come, will reappear. No virgin birth, no manger bed, no shepherds, magi, cattle shed. But from above the clouds, the skies, he'll come as king with fiery eyes, his face as radiant as the sun, a splendour seen by everyone. Yes, 
he who hammered in each nail and did Christ's hands and feet impale, together with the baying crowd who shouted, Crucify! out loud. Those Pharisees and Pilate too, and all who claim they never knew, will kneel and weep at seeing him, the crucified, return as king. With tears of joy and bended knee, those praying, labouring ceaselessly, will worship, praise, rejoice, adore the one so long they've waited for. So be prepared for that great day when death, pain, tears, he'll wipe away and faithful souls he'll gather in to spend eternity with him. Mm, fantastic. Now, I know that one of the things that you're burdened about because you wrote to me about it is, is the fact that you think that we're ever closer to that time whenever whenever Jesus in fact will return and of course it's interesting isn't it in the world because it's interesting really because things which are acceptable now you know and and the whole the whole two years that we've been through of of, of all the challenges of the pandemic and so on what is it that has put it on your heart about the, the coming back of God well, just the observation that uh, Jesus said to, to keep your eyes open for the signs in the same way as we, we see signs of the weather. We can't be absolutely certain, as we know with our weather forecast, <laughs> when it will come or how it will come. And they don't always get it right. So we have to be very cautious when it comes to the signs. But Jesus talked about the signs that we'll see. And I think some of it, that's real, some of it's metaphorical. Because when people say, oh, famines and earthquakes, etc., oh, we've always had them. Oh, yes, we have. But I think there's far more signs now. When my parents were young and my mum's still alive now, there was no such thing as an atom bomb. But now we have it's things of progress whereby we could actually destroy the planet. We could destroy it with our atomic warfare. We can destroy it with pollution. We can destroy it in a multitude of different ways. And we're very much more vulnerable than we've ever been before, I feel. And we're exterminating many of the um, creatures, the flora and fauna, that we have in the world. People are trying to reverse it. It's a huge job to reverse. Um, much, much more needs to be done if it is to be reversed. You've also got the climate change and the destruction of very low-lying islands, etc. Um, you've got starvation on a scale that's not been known before. We've got refugees on a scale. And I can't help feeling whether it's a hundred years 10 years or tomorrow that we're heading for a climax sometimes history can just seem cyclic but i think everything's moving we're in a world we've never been in before and i think we need to be ready for the coming of jesus those early disciples were ready mm. and they they preached that preparing for, and they didn't have all the signs that we have this is Hope FM.